Welcome to Ophthalmology and Beyond, the Maharashtra Ophthalmological Society's podcast. Maharashtra Ophthalmological Society is the largest state association of 3000 ophthalmologists from Western Indian state of Maharashtra. This podcast is by members of MOS for the ophthalmologist community of the world covering a broad range of topics concerning the science, art and practice of ophthalmology and ophthalmologists. This series is an initiative under the current leadership of MOS Honorary President Dr Jignesh Daswala Honorary Secretary Dr Rajesh Joshi Honorary Treasurer Dr Rajiv Mundra and Chairman Scientific Committee Dr Ragini Parekh Hope you like this series Do remember to follow it on your favorite podcast app You may send your feedback to MOS Secretary 7 at gmail.com. Happy listening. Welcome to the ninth episode of Ophthalmology and Beyond, the MOS podcast. This episode features Journal Club meeting held in the month of February 2022. The article discussed was clinical features of endophthalmitis clusters after cataract surgery and practical recommendations to mitigate the risk a systematic review by Jeff Park et al published in the March 2021 issue of JSCRS You can access this article by clicking on the link given in the show notes late good evening to all my dear mos members and the ophthalmic fraternity who have joined tonight uh, this late show of our e journal club um, mos uh, research e journal and e library committee initiative this is going on month to month on a regular basis and the brain behind it is uh, dr vaishal kenia the chairman of this committee and uh, aptly supported well by dr parul deshpande well every month we discuss a topic in detail uh, threadbare today we have an expert faculty dr pramod ghinde my alma mater from my alma mater that is sn shankar netralay and also dr pritham samant he is also from shankar netralay but is a in house consultant of uh, uh, mos also we have our nehali pant nehali who is going to present on endophthalmitis after cataract surgery and the practical this uh, thing risk management to mitigate the risk so we also have dr sain gupta who is the statistical analyst and the co-chairman of this committee and uh, so all the best uh, i hand over the listen to dr vaishal kenya for the further proceedings welcome all the faculty and the uh, panelists also and all the best nihali thank you very much uh, uh, jignesh sir and this month to month meeting uh, has been uh, a great uh, work by dr parul deshpande who has put in lot of hard work to make this meeting and today we have dr rajesh joshi and his uh, residents presenting a very interesting topic of cluster end of thalmitis and we have none other than dr pramod bende who would uh, comment as a discussant and uh, dr pre Pritam Samant, 
who is a very senior vitro retinal uh, consultant so it will be very interesting uh, to talk and discuss a cluster endophthalmitis which is very dear and an interesting topic to all of us so without further ado i uh, open the journal club meeting uh, good evening one and all today we have a very interesting article to discuss in our journal club but no one wants to happen that in our routine practice to answer our queries and throw light on the article we have renowned vitreoretinal specialist dr pramod bhende who is a director of vitreoretinal services in shankar netralaya and has numerous awards and original articles to his credit his area of interest is surgery in retinopathy of prematurity diabetic retinopathy and combined procedures involving anterior and posterior segment welcome sir dr pritam samant is our own mos member fellow of shankar netralaya and presently president of bombay ophthalmological society i also welcome dr sabbesachi sengupta a vr surgeon and dr manindra sethia who will be joining i think shortly and without taking too much of time i request dr nehali to share her presentation and start the yes, sir. uh good evening everyone is the presentation visible yes yes you are audible yes. uh good evening everyone the topic for today's uh, journal club is clinical features of endophthalmitis clusters after cataract surgery and practical recommendations to mitigate risk a systemic review my moderators were dr pramod bhende sir dr vishal khenia sir dr preetam samant sir and dr parul deshpande ma'am as we all know that post cataract endophthalmitis is a rare but serious post operative complication which impairs the visual uh, prognosis of the patient at the system wide level the incidence of the incidence of post operative endophthalmitis varies across centers from 0.28 to 1.6 per 1000 category cataract surgeries which may be due to varying resource availability and the aseptic protocols defined by the national regulatory agencies endophthalmitis can be caused both by endogenous pathogens such as in those with immune, with compromised immune system or exogenous pathogens from contaminated surgical instruments fluid solutions and surgical environment the aim of this study is to systematically evaluate the literature on the exogenous transmission of pathogens via cataract surgery with a focus on various routes of transmission and practical strategies to manage and mitigate the risk of endophthalmitis outbreak Systemic literature searches were performed on COVID Medline, Embase, and Cochrane Central using keywords and subject headings to identify relevant published articles. The study duration was from January one, nineteen ninety, to August twenty three, twenty twenty. All original studies with at least five participants and studies which reported on a plausible pathogen transmission to a patient during cataract surgery with a confirmed or suspected etiology and clinical features of endophthalmitis were included in the study. All forms of categories were all forms of cataract surgeries were included. A total of four thousand seven hundred and thirty-five uh, records were identified through database searching, and after abstract screening and removal of duplicates, hundred and seventeen articles were assessed for full text, and of them, twenty-four articles were selected for the study. The baseline characters of the included study were as follows. the studies were categorized on the basis of uh, the possible the possible uh, mode of transmission into intraocular solution studies op contaminated operating room 
contaminated surgical instruments, contaminated topical drops, contaminated intraocular lenses, contaminated autocular solutions, and contaminated cotton wool swabs. Ten studies were grouped under the intraocular solution category. Four studies, three studies under the operating room. Four under the contaminated fecal emulsification machine study. Two under surgical instrument. And one each in topical anesthesia, intraocular lens, autocular solution, and cotton wool swab study. These studies were taken from all over the world, and most of them were single-center study. The most common procedure performed was fecal emulsification. The treatment protocol used in these in the various studies were as follows. There were two studies which used preoperative antimicrobials for prevention of endophthalmitis. That were the Sackler study and the G study. The details of the of the for the rest was not available. Intraoperatively, four studies used antimicrobials in the form of uh, cefiroxim and gentamicin. Uh, the details for the rest was not available. Postoperatively, for treatment of endophthalmitis, antimicrobials were used in the form of oral, intravenous, topical, subconjunctival, intracameral, and intravitreal antimicrobials. Intravitreal antimicrobials were required in 228 eyes, that is 87% eyes. The, the uh, details were not available for the Sunshine uh, group of uh, study. Otherwise, all the other studies uh, gave antimicrobials to almost 100% of the eyes treated. Intravitreal steroids were given in 68 eyes, 26%. Uh, as can be seen, the studies that are highlighted in pink, these were the studies that had given intravitreal steroids. And almost approximately all the studies gave 100% intravitreal steroids to 100% of the eyes that were treated. And it can further be seen that repeat vitrectomy rates were zero in all these studies. Vitrectomy was required in 157 eyes, that is 60.2%. Repeat vitrectomy was required in 26 eyes, that is 10%. And enucleation or eviscation was required in 27 eyes, that is 10%. The rate of enucleation was highest, that is 100% in the Tabara study and 80% uh, in the Mirza study. That was uh, in this table, uh, the causative organisms were listed, and causative organisms could be isolated from both the patient sample and the uh, and the uh, the source of uh, transmission, uh, both anti both bacterial and fungal organisms were isolated. The Bukta study, Gangal study, Sakar study, and the Tabara study that are highlighted in yellow, they incriminated uh, fungal pathogens. The rest studies uh, isolated bacteria from the patient uh, samples. The mean time of presentation was thirteen point four days, ranging from one point three to forty six point three days. The visual acuity presentation was about counting fingers, and at last follow-up, it came up to 20 by 430. It was also noted that patients with diabetes had worse outcomes, that is counting finger, at the final follow-up compared with patients without diabetes, that is up to 20 by 160. Here again, as can be seen, that certain studies did come up with a, a good visual outcome in the final round, like the AXAYA study, which uh, is highlighted in red, it's uh, the presenting visual outcome was hand. The presenting vision was hand movement, and it improved to up to twenty by forty on the final follow up. Or the Hoffman study, the next uh, highlighted in red, 
uh, which the, in which the presenting visual acuity was hand movement and it came up to 20 by 20 on the final follow up both these studies had bacterial uh, causative organism the studies that are highlighted in yellow are the studies which had incriminated fungal uh, organisms as a cause of endophthalmitis and in all these studies we can see that the final visual outcome was poorer than the presenting visual outcome there were 10 studies in which contaminated intraocular solution was uh, the source of endophthalmitis these studies included a total of 128 eyes the mean age of presentation was 71 years and the average time of presentation was 14.5 days ranging from 2.5 to 31.3 days the baseline visual acuity was 20 by 800 on snellens and the final visual acuity was 20 by 500 it was also noted in these studies that the uh, final visual acuity in diabetic patients was much worse than in that in non-diabetic patients though statistical significance was not given intravitreal and uh, in treatment intravitreal antibiotics were given to 87 percent with the intravitreal steroids given to 22.1 percent uh, 27 patients uh, vitrectomy was required in 121 patients that is 65.3 percent and repeat vitrectomy was required in 121 patients or evisceration was required in 127 patients 5.5 percent uh, the cause of contamination, several studies suggested contamination during manufacturing procedure, notably the identification of contaminated viscoelastic in the study by Roy et al. led to product recall by the manufacturer. Or, uh, 9 out of 10 studies were able to isolate organisms from the ocular specimen and 6 studies were able to isolate the organism from the source. The most common organism isolated was Pseudomonas species followed by Stenotrophomas maltophilia. There were uh, multiple mitigate, uh, strategies to mitigate the risk. Overall, the authors advised against assuming that pre-sterilized products have no associated risk. Compounded medications and commercially available products are sometimes a source of an outbreak and clinicians must stay vigilant to ensure proper sterilization before use. Three studies, uh, in three studies, the cause of uh, endophthalmitis was a contaminated operating room. These studies included 44 eyes, the mean age of presentation was 60.2 years and the mean time of presentation was 7.32 days ranging from 6.95 to 8.80 days. The baseline visual acuity was hand movement and it finally came up to counting fingers. Uh, there were 15 of 35 patients that is 42.9% patients who had no uh, perception of light at the final uh, follow-up. Intravitreal antimicrobials were given to all the patients, that is 44 patients. Intravitreal steroids were given to 43.2% patients. Vitrectomy was required in 15.9% patients. And repeat vitrectomy was required in 2.3%. 31.8% patients had to undergo enucleation, that is 14 of 44. The cause of contamination was said to be the operating room environment and was presumed to be contaminated by air conditioning systems in two studies. Presumably, presumably due to accumulation of condensate containing infectious organism. But, and it was said to be by the spread of fungal spores from nearby hospital construction in one study. All the three studies grew, intra, grew positive cultures for Pseudomonas, Staphylococcus, and Aspergillus from the intraocular specimen, but only one study, the study conducted by Pena et al., which said that the contamination was due to air conditioning system, could isolate the infectious organism from the environmental sample. 
For risk mitigation, the author suggested proper maintenance of air conditioning ducts and filters in operating theaters, implementing special prevention measures during hospital construction, such as air sampling, air filter purifiers, and replacing perforated ceiling tiles. And molecular biologic techniques may be useful in identifying source of contamination. In five studies, contaminated uh, faecal emulsification machine was said to be the cause of transmission of, of endophthalmic pathogens. It included 40 eyes. The mean age was 65.5 years, and the mean time of presentation with infectious uh, symptoms were 9.63 days. The baseline visual acuity was counting fingers, and it came up to 20 by 130 in the final follow-up. Four of 32 patients, that is 12.5% patients, ended up with no uh, perception of light. Here again, it was noted that uh, the visual acuity in diabetic patients was much worse than in non-diabetic patients. For treatment, all the patients, that is 100% patients, received intravitreal uh, antimicrobials. 45.7% received intravitreal steroids. 87.2% had to undergo vitrectomy and 12.8% had to undergo repeat vitrectomy. The cause of contamination was said to be uh, contaminated phacoemulsification tubings in four of the five studies. In particular, G et al. determined that all infected patients were treated using the same phacoemulsifier, Stellaris, Bosch and Long, which was found to have a drainage cassette that led to connection between the aspiration and irrigation tubes. All the studies uh, could isolate positive organisms from the ocular specimen all but one could isolate from the phacoemulsification machine. The most common organism was Pseudomonas species. For risk mitigation, G et al. cautioned against reusing drainage cassettes when involving a connection between the aspiration fluids and irrigation tube. Matters et al. suggested flushing the tubing with sterile water after each procedure and using an ultrasonic bath and compressed air for cleaning prior to auto autoclave use. Two studies, that is the study conducted by Huguenet et al. and Chaudhry et al. suggested that the uh, cause of endophthalmitis was contaminated surgical instruments. The mean age of presentation was 77.1 year. The mean time of presentation in Huguenet et al. study was one week and 1.3 days for the study conducted by Chaudhry et al. The baseline visual acuity was 20 by 18, 20 by 80, which came up to 20 by 25 in the Huguenet et al. Uh, study and 20 by 30 in the study conducted by Chaudhry et al. No patient ended up with uh, perception of light or no perception of light visual acuity at, at uh, final follow-up. Uh, all the patients received intravitreal uh, intravitreal steroids. Eight patients uh, and all the eight patients belong to Huguen et al. study had to undergo vitrectomy. No patient had to undergo repeat vitrectomy, inhalation, or evisceration. The cause of contamination was said to be the damaged blades by Huguenet et al., but it was also suggested that the damaged blades were not contaminated themselves, but their use led to ragged corneal incision, facilitating the introduction of microorganisms. Chaudhry et al. identified residual viscoelastics on the surgical instruments that may have escaped the cleaning and sterilization procedure. Both the study demonstrated Staphylococcus epidermidides from intraocular specimen, but neither study could isolate organism from surgical instruments. For risk mitigation, Huguenet et al. highlighted the need to pay close attention to techniques of manipulating the cornea when using instruments such as the diamond blade. 
Furthermore, fragile microsurgical instruments are prone to damage in the process of cleaning, and thus the benefit of using disposable instruments should be considered. The study conducted by Lalita et al. incriminated contaminated topical anesthetic as the cause of endophthalmitis. The mean age of presentation was 59.2 days, and the mean time of presentation was 59.2 years. I'm sorry. And the mean time of presentation was 46.3 days. The baseline visual acuity was 20 by 810 on Snellens, and it came up to 20 by 280 on final follow-up. Three patients landed up with a perception of light visual acuity. All the 13 patients received intravitreal antibiotics and vitrectomy. The causative organism was said to be Burkholderia cepacea, which was isolated from the vitreous samples and the topical anesthetic drops. And a clonal relationship between the two strains was demonstrated by PCR. Samples from the unopened bottle yielded positive cultures, therefore, suggesting that contamination occurred during the manufacturing procedure. The study cautioned that pre sterilized consumables can be vulnerable to contamination due to breach of sterility. The study conducted by Ramapa et al. said that contaminated IOLs were the cause of endophthalmitis. The mean age of patients was 53 years and the mean time of presentation was 6.18 days. The baseline's visual acuity was 20 by 760, which came up to 20 by 210 on final follow-up. And two patients landed up with perception of light visual acuity on final follow-up. Here again, there was a difference between the final visual acuity of diabetic and non-diabetic patients though statistical significance was not given. The causative organism was said to be Pseudomonas aerogenosa, which was isolated from vitreous and aqueous cultures from five patients and from intraocular lenses and their preservative solutions. It is important to note that the packaging of these IOLs was intact before opening and all lenses that were used were not expired. All the intraocular lenses were from the same lot by one manufacturer and this specific lot may not have undergone proper sterilization during uh, manufacturing. The authors recommended obtaining cultures from various intraocular lenses as part of microbiological investigation for endophthalmitis clusters and using molecular biology techniques such as enterobacterial repetitive intergenic consensus polymerase chain reaction to detect the source of infection more precisely. The study conducted by Sue et al. Uh, said that the contaminated autoclave solution was the cause of endophthalmitis. The mean age was 69 years and the mean time of presentation was 16.7 days. The baseline visual acuity was 20 by 600 and the final visual acuity was perception of light. Six patients, that is 66%, had, uh, had a final visual acuity of no PM. Uh, the treatment the treatment included uh, intravitreal antibiotics to nine patients. Intravitreal steroids were given to one. Vitrectomy was done in nine, and repeat vitrectomy was required in eight patients. Enucleation was required for two patients. The causative organism was said to be Mycobacterium cheloni or Mycobacterium abscesses in all nine intraocular specimens. A source of outbreak was not identified despite an extensive investigation. The author speculated that a contaminated solution used in autoclave was the most probable source of outbreak. The study recommended implementing perioperative sterilization procedures, including autoclave sterilization of instruments, periocular sterilization, sterile packing solutions, and sterile eye drops to prevent future outbreaks. The, conduct, the study conducted by Mirza et al. incriminated contaminated cotton wool swabs as the cause of endophthalmitis. Mean as a presentation was 56.4 years and the mean time of presentation was two days. The visual acuity uh, 
The final visual acuity was hand movement and four patients, that is 80%, ended up with no PL. In treatment, uh, all the patients, that is 100% patients were given intravitreal antibiotics with steroids. Evisceration was required in four patients. The causative organism was said to be Enterobacter species in all but one intraocular specimen and also from remaining cotton wool swabs obtained after operation. The cause of contamination, cotton wool swabs in these centers were prepared manually from cotton wool and there was a human error that led to breach in the sterilization procedure. The personnel had failed to remove the used indicator tape and thus the drum containing the unsterile contents was returned to the operating room without being autoclaved. The authors highlighted the failure of staff to properly perform sterilization protocols and advocated for using disposable sterile sponges and carefully sterilizing all surgical materials prior to each operation. The current review identified 24 articles on endophthalmitis outbreak after cataract surgery. Consistent with the previous systematic review in this setting, the two most common cause of infectious transmission was contaminated intraocular solutions and phacoemulsification machine. The current review also demonstrated the clinical features of medical and surgical treatments after diagnosis of endophthalmitis and the worst visual outcomes experienced by patients with diabetes. The recommendation from multiple domains of transmission risk prevention and management to inform future guidelines were also summarized. Understanding the various routes of transmission is important for effectively managing and preventing the spread of pathogens. Our study demonstrated endophthalmitis clusters attributable to seven different sources of contamination across 24 articles. The most prevalent route of trans infection transmission in this review was via contaminated intraocular solutions. Both compounded and manufactured fluid solutions pose a risk for an outbreak, especially if reused or not properly sterilized. The most commonly performed cataract removal technique was phacoemulsification. One study highlighted the possible contamination between the uh, aspiration and irrigation fluids due to a connection involving the respective tube, which can be tested by injecting a dye solution into the aspiration tube. Contamination due to reuse of a surgical instrument. Consecutive reuse of instruments or inadequate sterilization was highlighted across several studies as just fact of a pathogen transmission. This underscores the importance of routine and rigorous surveillance of surgical materials involved in multiple procedures, especially the immediate irrigation of all structures with internal units. Investigation. Uh, conventional cultural methods have a limited rate of detecting fastidious organisms. Thus, molecular techniques such as PCRs have been proposed. They offer the advantage of high detection rates even with less specimen material and they also pose the ab ability to conduct cluster analysis to delineate genetic lineages of isolates. Many institutes still face the cha practical challenge of obtaining samples, especially when the contaminated source has already been disinfected or discarded prior to the start of investigation. In such scenarios, the pathogen source needs to be deduced by identifying the common elements in the procedures and evaluating the plausible mechanism by which pathogens may be introduced, stored, and transmitted. Patients' clinical characteristics. There is evidence showing that post-cataract infection is associated with baseline factors such as diabetes mellitus, low visual acuity, higher intraocular pressure, chemosis, pupillary fibrin membrane, loss of red reflex, and reduced fundus visibility. In our review, there was a trend of patients with diabetes experiencing worse final outcomes than their counterparts without diabetes across the included study. Thus, diabetes may not only increase susceptibility to exogenous endophthalmitis, but also complicate recovery after treatment. A multiple uh, risk mitigation strategies were uh, 
provided by the author, which included improving the cleaning and sterilizing process, refraining from reusing surgical instruments or materials whenever possible, be aware of the possibility that pre-sterilized products can also be contaminated, implement formal inspection and control measures to scrutinize practices that may increase the risk of pathogen transmission, use molecular biologic techniques for detection of pathogenic agents, and obtain official statistical data on hospital infections to inform preventive measures. There were certain limitations to this study. Evidence reported in this review was of low or very low quality according to the grade evaluation. Study protocols were significantly different between articles, leading to variability in treatment protocols, sta sterilization standards, policy and instrument reuse, and resource allocation, among other factors. This study is also limited in part by publication bias that may have precluded certain endophthalmitis clusters from being reported in the literature and consequently being concluded in our, in our study. In conclusion, cluster of infectious cases after cataract surgery are rare but have devastating consequences for patients who have serious ophthalmic complications. A large diversity of exogenous microorganisms may be transmitted to patients undergoing cataract surgery via various routes such as intraocular solutions, thicker emulsification machine, operating room environment, surgical instruments, topical anesthesia, intraocular lens, uh, autoclave solutions, and cotton wool swabs. Thank you. Yeah, uh, thanks Nihali for that, uh, your extensive presentation. Uh, I will just sum up a few points which are important as far as source of infection is concerned. The first is intraocular solution, then phacoemulsification machine, contaminated surgical instruments, IOLs, autoclave solution, and cotton swabs. Intraocular solution and phacoemulsification machine being most common causes. Pseudomonas, most common organism isolated in most of the clusters. Diabetics experiences worse prognosis. Intravitreal steroids given along with antibiotics give better visual prognosis. So this is the crux of uh, this review. I just want to have comments from all the panelists. Yes, sir. Maybe I think we'll have a subject input first, like looking at analysis, very like all these studies, like a different study protocols, what she has rightly mentioned, like a value and importance and evidence as far as this review article is concerned. Uh, okay, so I'll make a few comments in the chat. So uh, as when we have uh, review articles, you know, it's quite difficult to you know, sort of come up with uh, any particular comments on that study. A uh, couple of things, you know, one is the route of transmission is always difficult to find and the organism is sometimes even more difficult to find. So, you know, so that's, that's sort of something that we should always remember. And, you know, this article, of course, mentions itself. Uh, other thing is, uh, you know, when people operate in clusters, you can get infection in clusters, right? So generally cluster endothelmitis happen in you know, in places where there are large volume surgeries happening on a daily basis or on a regular basis. So, you know, that is something that we should also sort of uh, remember. Uh, so, you know, such centers should always have a very high volume of suspicion. You know, say even two, two cases a day should probably considered as a cluster. Uh, at least, you know, should be sought answers for as to why two cases have happened in one day. Because, you know, if, if you don't do anything, you might have 10 cases the next day. Uh, you know, something which has not been discussed at all in this paper and probably not reported by most studies is, you know, the influence of intracameral antibiotics. 
uh, you know, I'm sure our panelists will tell us a little bit more about their experiences and whether they use it and you know what their views are, especially to prevent cluster endothelitis. So there are a lot of large articles now from Arvind which have come out and shown that uh, you know use of intracamel antibiotics reduce the incidence of endothelitis and particularly don't lead to clusters. Uh, you know, some other things like, uh, you know, particularly about sterilizations, like whether flash sterilization can lead to increased risk, you know, because uh, remember that these are high volume operating centers. If you do 100 surgeries a day, it's almost impossible to have 100 operating sets, isn't it? So, uh, you know, if, even if you have 20 sets, uh, you're going to reuse them about four or five times. You know, so what happens in between surgeries is flash sterilization, where, you know, you run short cycles whether this can actually increase the risk of endothelitis is something that they have not told us. Uh, you know, so probably a checklist-based approach for uh, in instrument cleaning or autoclaving or, uh, you know, maybe how uh, intraocular fluids are randomly cultured on and off that can also be, uh, you know, sort of uh, mentioned overall. Uh, from the methodology point of view, you know, so you know, sort of uh, listeners should know that there are two different types of reviews. One is systematic review, another is a narrative review. So this is an actually a example of a systematic review and a well done systematic review overall, you know, where you look at two important things. One is you have a hypothesis before your beginning. Yeah. So, you know, what is the study question? It is very well defined. And, you know, what are the search strategies you will use to include studies? And, you know, so you, there should not be selection bias in, in sort of, uh, uh, including studies and, uh, you know, so there should be no, uh, you know, the author should not have their own bias reflected in the way that review is presented. Uh, you know, so that is an example of a systematic review and this is well done where you look at the, you know, they've used the Cochrane tool for bias de detection. So that's easily available. You can all Google it up and also they've used the grade protocol or the, you know, the grade methodology for, uh, you know, looking at how strong the evidence is from each study. And they clearly say that most studies have, a very low level of evidence generated from them. Uh, you know, so that is, these are two things which are very important to do when you're doing a systematic review. Uh, you know, then also follow a Prisma checklist, which can help you actually write a systematic review. And this has all, all been followed here. Uh, you know, so these are some examples. Of, I mean, this is a good study in terms of the methodology in the way it is done. Unfortunately, you know, the level of evidence, which is there in literature for cluster endothelitis is not that high. Uh, you know, so the authors did the best with what they could, uh, you know, so overall, these are some of my uh, sort of inputs. I would, uh, you know, love to hear uh, input from uh, PB sir and, you know, everyone else. Dr. Bende, sir. Yeah, thanks, uh, thanks Abhishek. And uh, let me first outset uh, thank uh, MOS uh, for the invitation and having me here. Nice to be back with all familiar faces once again. So, uh, I mean, uh, it's a, it's a very important issue. As an article, I would say survey says she has I think uh, analyzed, but what as a topic, I think we need to look at it. Uh, uh, it's a basically probably it's initiate discussion where how you can prevent it, how to handle it. I think that probably will from here you can go uh, forward and. Uh, a lot, yeah, nobody would like to have endophthalmitis, forget about cluster. That's a very, very important thing. And yes, there's no proper definition what is meant by cluster, but yes, two or more in a same setting and a short period of time, probably you can define as a cluster. People are talk about six cases or eight cases or anything more than three. So 
yes anything i think in generally acceptable is as more than two or three cases in a same sitting probably in a short period and not necessarily that you need to have a just in a same day you can have a some consistently it can happen over a period of time in the same setting you get a one case today and then lull between 8 10 12 case and some other day another one case another one case adds on but what i totally agree what subbes as he says even if you have one case your antennas should go up look for analyze for why it happened and lot of factors are given here they talk about cluster but other patient related factors are also there which they have not discussed here so uh, probably those also everything and staff related factors you have a, a assistant or assistant other ot staffs if somebody is having already carrying infection those factors obviously not discussed but when you can have a, each institute have their own protocol if you land up in this mishap or untoward incidents or endophthalmitis per se call it here can have a checklist to go through that systematic way so that basically again it's not a it's a fact finding mission you are not going to point finger at someone the thing is that once you do that as a routine it become as a reflex act and you know where things going where things are going wrong probably you can minimize the risk or avoid subsequent cases i won't say you can avoid end of thalmitis at all but probably risk definitely can be minimized if you can identify factor that's very very important when you are dealing with we'll i think we'll add on with the time let others talk and then apitam uh, uh, i just want to know uh, what, how how do we manage once if we find out that there is a cluster of end of thalmitis so how do you really go ahead with the investigation or the management of such cases so yeah <clears throat> so i think that's a very important uh, topic you know because when if it's a, just a single end of thalmitis then it comes down to just managing the case you know although a single end of thalmitis still the onus is on finding the cause from where the bug came but when it's a cluster then it it becomes it just it it gains you know a larger proportion because then you have medico legality involved you could be having the media involved you know it just it, it just snowballs into a larger problem so when it comes to a cluster then you know you have to have uh, more people involved you have to find out the cause because like what sunny said you know that if you had a cluster now you could get a cluster in your next ot again because the same unless you find what happened you know what went wrong it could just happen again so when it comes to a cluster end of thalmitis it involves uh, you know a lot of things you have to find out the the common cause probably shut down the ot you know shutting down the operating theater in an institute would 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 mean uh, you know a lot of uh, implications for that institute so in that situation a cluster end of thalmitis definitely is is definitely a bigger problem than just you know probably one off cases of end of thalmitis but you know having taken that question you know i have uh, you know couple of things which i wanted to discuss so one thing is you know i wanted to ask now there are all of all such esteemed panelists here i just want to ask a random question to all of the people here you know does anyone on this group in their respective institutes or in their respective practices have an upper cap of how many cataract surgeries should be posted in a given ot let's be honest i don't have well i think uh, yeah looking at our practice obviously we don't reach that yeah. number because the stringent protocol what we follow but aios 
has given definite guidelines yes how many cases you should be doing in a, each session and number of surgeons if you have and i think uh, we recently had a, a the committee for uh, prevention and to create a guidelines for prevention of endophthalmitis like a, i think a couple of months back and that new guidelines are coming up and igo also i think the february issue are is it come already uh, in that february issue no it's i think it's uh, it's there in that uh, i think they are coming up yeah, those yeah. guidelines and i think hopefully that everybody will follow those yeah. guidelines so why, i think some so, 20 cases yeah so why i brought up that question is you know i so i, I have now i am attached to jj hospital institute and i have dealt with at least six or seven clusters in the last about 10 15 years now one thing which i have observed in all these clusters is these clusters classically happen between the months of november december jan and feb now these are the months if you see i mean all of us will agree is the time when we do maximum number of elective ophthalmic procedures or cataracts you can say you know our cataracts are maximum in these times so probably these are the times when we are doing maximum number of cases and that is where our protocols are maybe failing that is that is one possibility except for two of these clusters all the other clusters were from camps camp surgeries again camp means a situation where these surgeries are done in volumes the other two clusters again were from charitable institutes again places where cataracts are done in volumes you know and so so what i'm getting to is you know another thing another aspect which i want to hear what i want to say is we always talk about diabetic patients and how much risk factors you know we, we are talking about our sterilization i i i don't see any time people talking about our staff you know and what is a burden on them i mean if you're doing a cat if you're doing a camp where 100 and 200 surgeries are operated in a day are we really going into the back rooms and seeing how much of uh, you know you know fatigue it is on our staff members when us how many hours our staff members are working when they are having their dinner their lunch how many hours they are sleeping between two camp surgeries on two consecutive days you know this is something which i, I don't know whether i i, I it, even in even in the when we discuss uh, the the aws i don't know whether we've this, we've touched on this point you know this is something which i wanted to say but because of lack of time i think we didn't touch on these points so in last meeting we did discuss this one okay okay and we knew we are looking at it because surgeon everywhere surgeon is blamed for this and surgeon is busy operating and behind him all these things are activities going on which are equally important which surgeon do not have control he is not aware of and that's why we recommended this time we have a parallel other person totally in charge to overlook all these activities and it's very very important and he should be held responsible it's totally his he should be accountable for all these activities dealing with um, what activities what you are just exactly suggested surgeon job is he is operating instruments around the table say yes he is he you cannot he cannot wash his hand out because of, of course he is at head of the team but when he is concentrating on surgery team has to work around and we have to have somebody from the team taking care of all these activity including of course now i think government has totally banned mexipotis it has to be in a proper theater complexes fortunately those camp practices has gone down you can just sort of joke apart uh, what pritham said like 500 600 and there is a record 1500 cases doing or some uh, uh, like a uh, cases in in a day by one surgeon and it used to be like a conveyor belt and i remember when during my mbs days that next day when the patches open three patient never had a surgery in that conveyor belt they went just out 
quickly just somebody give blocks somebody keep thing ready and without searching doing cataract surgery patch was put and patient was sent out realized next day morning no i mean that exactly what you says human error is bound to happen when you have a so such a huge turnover it, it, it does happen okay so this is equally important and what typical a, a case uh, scenario what uh, in a presentation she described about co- like a cotton swab not removing the uh, previous sticker putting the cotton ball and tray goes because everybody is in a hurry without realizing uh, things are not done properly the checklist has to be there is somebody a person independent person supervising all this thing is extremely important rather that is more important than actually doing only cataract surgery or good cataract surgery in the, the, particularly this type of setting as far as management per case if you look at it whether is cluster or other regular endophthalmitis management per se does not change as long as you pick up those cases on time intravitreal antibiotics and other steps are exactly same but what happen here you have you know probably same organism you are dealing with with so many cases so you have to be act and only thing is a sheer volume number of cases probably magnitude is more you are again mental fatigue sets in because you start feeling guilty so your common sense stop working so again you need somebody helping out these cases but just case to case management does not change but what changes here is what pritham has described because other issues which are connected with this cluster like media will be right on your head government agencies somebody they want somebody scapegoat to immediately to show somebody that who is responsible okay rather than actually doing proper work definitely i would say even if 3 4 5 i mean you have a number of cases more i maybe five or six cases if you have you whether is institute or not first thing i would recommend you close shut down the theater definitely this is very very important landing on huge problem later on analyze each and every parameter look into everything thorough investigation unless everything is clear out i won't recommend restarting the theater yes you there may be a significant loss but i think it's worth having the, that loss rather than landing up losing many more eyes and most of the cases when you see this series and that is true our indian scenario also that cluster end of the most of the cases final outcome is really not that good as against you see isolated cases here also indian scenario because of patient again poor hygiene is a soil contamination other thing fungal cases fungal endophthalmitis in a cluster is much even otherwise also fungal endophthalmitis as is more common in indians and or asian setting i would say compared to when you look at uh, american publications or european publication in fact there are no fungus at all most of them are like uh, like our uh, asian countries sir any comment on simultaneous uh, bilateral cataract surgery being propagated uh, by steve arsenoff and uh, people are doing now in india also so what is the aios take on that and what I is your personal comment i think aios says no definitely see i mean again you look at a theoretical aspect if you take a due precautions you treat treat each eye as a separate one independent one finish one eye patch and pick other eye totally fresh instructor equipment as a independent fresh case as a doing a new case again cleaning draping protocol following everything theoretically speaking is fine but none of us are 100% sure that even if your sterilization protocol how strict or stringent you may be 
there is always a 0.00001% risk is always there. What you want, actually, that also should not happen in this case. And that's one more reason. Given option, I won't do both the cases together, both eyes together. And I think AIS protocol is like that. Uh, definitely, they are not recommending. Rather, directly, they said no to doing both eyes in the same city. People are doing for sake of convenience. Uh, where, uh, like, uh, see, before, again, looking at uh, just following whatever is happening in European and Western literature, our lifestyle is different. Environment is different. Uh, look at pollution. Look at other factors. Uh, all those things we need to take into account before directly just uh, following or copying things. Our patient profile is totally different. Absolutely, sir. And uh, you know, another point is uh, most of most of the ecosystems are now closed irrigation systems. You know, the positive infusion and closed irrigation systems. So we have to be careful from that aspect also. In the past, there used to be you know systems where the cassette would just collect the uh, uh, the fluid, and there would not be a closed irrigation system. But now with a closed irrigation system, I think we have to be more careful. You know, it's it's like like they say, technology is a double-edged sword. You know, although although this is it, it has upped the game in terms of your efficiency of doing a phaco surgery, but at the same time, you know, it could be your downfall. And result into clusters. You know, if you are going to use the same cassette again by just changing the phaco tips and 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 things like that, then you have to be extremely careful. Not only that, one step ahead, again, is suppose you want to call as a commercial issue or whatever it may be. Sometime when you restart machine and using the same cassette, the fluid circulates in such a way when you shut down the machine that both the chambers get mixed up, infusion line and uh, whatever. Uh, irrigated fluid which is coming out of the eye and that is much more dangerous. So people are again trying to circumvent that like switch on the machine and keep it on. Don't switch off till you finish all the cases for a day. Various ways people are trying but yes, that's a, that's a major risk. So sir, do you recommend that in our scenario we have these systems with disposable cassettes so for every patient we should be... Uh, not viable. Taking... Problem is, see ideally should not be. Ideally we should not be. But for each case, separate set, it's just not viable. Just see, I mean, no, you, even having a Western people, American also having a difficulty now, they are also rethinking about whether we should go back to their reusing thing. It's just not practicable. Then cost will go so high okay, that I, I, I think you, people will not be able to afford at all surgeries. You just can't do. So we have to find ways. I mean, officially, you cannot ride. Another problem is if you, you reuse, again, company will wash their hands out. So I, they, because it is written as a for single use only, and so because of that, something happened, and we, because you are reusing, that's another, then company washes their hand out. And once it's right a single use and patient come to know, and suppose, unfortunately, something goes wrong, he goes in the court, nobody can save you. Okay. So legal point of view, yes, nobody should use. But practical point of view, nobody can afford to use, except probably isolated one or two surgeons. But then they, when they charge maybe 1, 1. 1.5 lakh, 2 lakh per surgery, if they are charging, fine. If you want to do, we are talking about cam surgery, we are talking about surgery, doing surgery in 1,500, charge somewhere around, maybe around 5,000, 5, 7,000 package. You just cannot, cannot use a new set for each case. Unfortunately, that's a practical reality. You know, you know, sir, there was in one of the discussions, even one point came up where uh, 
uh, what happens is you know when a particular company upgrades the machine it discontinues service on the previous uh, model okay so this point came up that you know suppose if you are uh, using a refurbished older machine you know where we say it's a reusable cassette and it's not a closed irrigation system now if such a it's a, in, in such a scenario you got an end of thalamitis and there was a medical legal case you know what if it came to a situation where the court of law asked you why are you using a machine which is no longer supported by the company you know so there also the the operating surgeon could be in a fix if you are using a refurbished machine which is no longer supported by the company you know that also could be could could be held against you so that also is one point which you have to look into uh and many times uh, many times we use intracamera intracaminal uh, solutions like pyrocarpin lignocaine our bss also sometimes uh, they are available in uh, glass bottles do you recommend them to autoclave and use no. them for safety purposes uh, no autoclaving this bottle does not sterilize the solution inside let me make it very clear because those are sealed bottles so is like they just give you pseudo sense of security if packaging is damaged that's why before you use the solution what you need to look at it look at the packaging look at any cracks look at the seal is not uh, tampered all those things and the commonest thing what i saw is see whatever when whenever you open new bottle you have to clean wipe that rubber cork before you put your needle or syringe or whatever it may be See, a lot of times your OT staff thinks when they metal ship they remove, they think it's not right, and it happened with our intravitreal injection also. Particularly when they open the cap, they think it is never sterile. It is exposed. It is clear. So we have to either whether alcohol swab you want to use or whatever way you want to always clean that one spirit or alcohol whatever you want to before you put your needle in. But uh, this uh, autoclaving the bottle. Actually, you are not really sterilizing solution inside. It just gives a pseudo sense um, of uh, satisfaction. Uh, sir, I just want to know uh, in cluster end of the medicine, you said that the visual recovery is not that very great. So, what are the factors which actually uh, uh, would point towards a better visual recovery versus a worse visual recovery? And uh, second, uh, this thing is with this study did not really comment about these steroids, but. Um, as highlighted by the speaker, wherever they have used steroids, the outcomes were better. So, um, is there any role of uh, steroids in all cases of endophthalmitis? You use steroid is definitely you are using topical steroid. Most of the cases we use, particularly bacterial endophthalmitis. Fungal is again controversial. Most Sorry, of us do not like to use. Sorry. Intravitreal also. intravitreal we are you all bacterial endophthalmitis definitely we use intravitreal steroid systemic steroid topical steroid systemic if necessary but definitely topical intravitreal steroids are being used when you are dealing with a bacterial endophthalmitis not with a fungal but and uh, the fact you get a cluster endophthalmitis because quite sometimes organisms are much more virulent than see most of the cases what you may have that presented today as pseudomonas we know this so is uh, or soil contamination contamination um, like uh, uh, this one um, clostridium group of organisms so uh, these are the organisms are definitely much more virulent in a cluster sometimes 
they are not written on time because camp setting, what you said, patients are operated in the same home. By the time they report, it's already you have lost the timing. That's the thing. And third thing is, again, officially nobody ag agrees, but most of the time they are suppressed also initially. Nobody wants to come out that I had a cluster. So nobody wants to say that one. Unfortunately, that also happened. And it's a human nature. I won't directly blame anybody, but, but this, that happens. Nobody wants to like to call my case as endophthalmitis. We talk it as a, like a severe inflammation or something like that. We try to put word, but we don't know cataract surgeon will say I had my, my case had my had endophthalmitis unless subsequently proved. Okay. And what are the factors <laughs> that help improve the visual acuity in these cases? Um, is yeah, there no, again, see, parameter guidelines are exactly same. Early detection, if you get you pick up the organism and treat with appropriate antibiotics and of course supporting therapy. If you can do that, that's every case. I mean, it has to be done, but circumstances, situation probably may not allow you to do that in this situation, these settings rather. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I think about this, the steroids, I think it's, it's uh, like Sir said, I think it's very important. Steroid forms a very important part of the treatment of any bacterial endophthalmitis. Because it's uh, you know it's the 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 antimicrobial which takes care of the bug, but it's steroid which is responsible for the functional recovery. Finally, right? So if you're not treating it with steroids, then you will eventually have you know ciliary body atrophy, you know hypotony, thysis. So so steroid I think is a very important part of treating endophthalmitis as long as it's not fungal. In fungal endophthalmitis it is contraindicated. Uh, I just want to ask one question to all the panelists. I have seen few surgeons preserving BSS and intracameral solution for surgery for investigation if something goes wrong. Is it advisable? In fact, at all Actually, we do that one because quite sometimes generally what we do is like a whatever use that particular cases you pack in a separate bag and keep at least 24 to 48 hours. So you have a first review next day or subsequent day and after within two or three days, nothing happened, you know, then to discard it. Okay. It makes sense. But yes, theoretically, again, one more practical issue is once you open the cap, there's a possibility it can get contaminated later on also. Yeah. Okay. But if you have a same organism coming from your, uh, like a solution, irrigating solutions use and patient is having a, your uh, culture, ACR, we test up, probably you know that what from where it came that way that is recommended actually okay but then space issues and particularly when again uh Sachin Pritam was talking about when a very high turnover number of cases where you're going to store this thing and also same irrigating bottle solution bottle you use for three four five patients you put one VSS ringer lactate bottle for maybe five five cc bottle and five patients six patients you finish with one bottle uh, so because of, again, practical reasons. Again, not criticizing anybody, but that happens. So again, uh, uh, then the practicality is an issue here. Uh, so I I... Some, somebody has asked a question about intracameral antibiotics, uh, you know, whether it is uh, useful for preventing endophthalmitis. Yeah. Uh, we had a lot of discussion on this, even on the AIOS forum. And I think on various forums, this discussion has happened and there is a lot of even now evidence in literature There is a meta-analysis also. So I think the general uh, consensus is that, you know, probably it, it may not exactly help in preventing endophthalmitis, but it is definitely 
useful in uh, lowering the manifestation yeah. that means if you had an endophthalmitis and you had given an intracameral probably you will get a um, you know a milder clinical picture so that is what uh, you know a lot of uh, forums which at least i have appeared on and discussed with that is what people are of the view so oh, so your view sir dr pb yeah that's the only view is there is my am hesitant because of drug uh, like uh, your resistance you are inducing drug resistance one thing second thing is uh, i would err more on a stringent protocol being followed for sterilization and your ot protocol and everything rather than giving intracameral antibiotic because somehow you start giving and you just feel false sense of security people go more concentrate on giving intracameral just because having a one or two cases or three cases of endophthalmitis and for like a remaining like a 10000 cases they are intracameral antibiotic is going on contact period is very very less looking at it uh, like a duration the drug stays in eye during that time okay so what i would suggest basically is more important is your concentration or your sterilization protocol concentration on your surgical step ensure your uh, um, like a section is properly closed somebody has posed the question like i have a, a very low raised several rather i would say um, if section is ensure repeatedly the section is self sealing water tight section i would make put it in but not air tight and if is not do not hesitate taking one or two sutures if patient is not compliant patient is going other dusty weather just tell them we have to counsel them and uh, particularly that that i counsel concentrate more because again that another article with a faulty instrument particularly blade ragged blade so in, in infection was not because of blade was faulty but because of section was not well opposed so naturally subsequent leak through and organism entering in the entry chamber with that so look take look uh, take care of all those things and probably that itself help you minimize the your incidence of endophthalmitis intracameral antibiotic yes a lot of people are giving now more and more people are going on it but drug resistance we are going to face more and more with that also but really difficult to treat those eyes now because we have a few cases extremely difficult no drug i mean every possible drug we have fairly good microbiology lab and there are at least two or three patient we tried all including our cholesterol and all those things organisms are resistant to everything just cannot do anything so more so, So can I can I ask a question? The uh, so recent ASCRS twenty twenty one end of telematics survey has shown that uh, intracameral usage has increased, but at the same time they have shown that the preoperative and the postoperative antibiotic usage is questioned. Some of them have stopped using preoperative antibiotics and postoperative antibiotics. So what is your personal take on that? We we don't use preoperative postoperative antibiotic at all. we ensure that patient hygiene we ensure and sterilization protocol is maintained and have a close follow we don't use so there is no 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 evidence now i mean uh, strong evidence that it will prevent but what we are particular about pre surgery contact time of covid and iodine at least that 3 to 5 minutes contact time it goes equally good with the 3 days antibiotic prior to surgery and covid and iodine on the table 3 to 5 minutes i think is is as good as same and so medically very really particular about medically legally uh, uh, systemic antibiotics and pre operative antibiotics can be avoided yes yes there is no evidence to that but what happened maybe to word of caution here 
particularly people those are doing a topical anesthesia surgery and if they are using lignocaine jelly oh. before putting your uh, covid and iodine wash that jelly what happen you jelly in or that you put covid and iodine it doesn't reach your conjunctiva at all okay so just a word of caution there jelly is just coating your uh, uh, ocular surface covidan doesn't reach there yes, sir i am in a private practice so i think probably uh, uh, i have only seen uh, occasional case of uh, sporadic uh, endophthalmitis so do we really treat these cases investigate and treat these cases similar to clusters or uh, we can be little uh, easy going on uh... no what not easy going but what you need to do is you just revisit your entire sterilization protocol okay that is what you need to do see you are not worried about other media and all those things and those issues and what pritham was talking about but what you need to do is you do not want to have a second case happening like this yeah you go back revisit your entire sterilization protocol your ot air conditioning what we are talking about your staff whether they are their hand hygiene uh, whether somebody is having a cough cold your assistant your instrument equipment your autoclave system all those thing you'll need to look into it as a routine that's why like you make one something uh, like a one profama checklist and if anything landers check this is what i am what happen is not private practice or grow institutional practice or everywhere you set the system initially things are working fine over a period of time complacency sets in you know things are working fine working fine working fine you do not know uh, somebody your assistant see, you are not going to go in a sterilization room you send somebody that person is there and you rely on that person he is a key person for you but something he become complacent or he leaves and someone else come there he can overlook certain things so what happen frequent in between cross checking and if something like that happens revisiting entire protocol once again probably that will help so Because i think it, it uh, just sorry it happens somebody we were discussing some of other like you are setting somebody had this problem every 2 3 weeks one case is coming every 2 3 week one case is coming so you don't define as a cluster but person was cautious enough to understand that something is not right and he had check everything nothing was nothing he could uh, point to the person says let me check my surgery videos because patient enters inside and then goes out Uh, everything is video recorded and then turn out to be head cloth or something drape we put that was not being changed chalta hai so sometimes soak sometimes not soak and then and those cases land up into trouble something like that yeah i think uh, checklist is very important we should not rely that we have experienced staff they can also go wrong so checklist is something which i think even i follow we very all are human so it happens yeah. yes So I think there was one more question about the type of incision, whether scleral incision versus corneal incision. So, is there any difference in the incidence of uh, endophthalmitis? Looking at the literature, yes, with a clear corneal incision, there is a higher incidence of endophthalmitis compared to sclerocorneal or limbal incision. It is proven. So, but as long as I would say, as long as because see, with with a corneal incision now, with a newer IOL, since incision size is also very small. compared to what used to be previously so as long as incision is watertight i would say on the table you are fairly safe okay 
only thing is but then these incidents again prone suppose you have to take a post of precaution of injury or something or excess squeezing that is one thing also when you have this wall incision probably when you close the case intraocular pressure should be marginally higher because the the way section the incision is designed that with positive pressure inside that inner lip presses against the outer lip and that is what close the wall if i left hypotonus the chances of contamination risk of infection is definitely high okay is there any role of intracameral antibiotics suppose uh, to uh, take care of egress of the fluid immediately after the post op suppose if you are putting intracameral antibiotic mm-hmm. take care of egress of fluid if you have uh, coronary incision uh, i don't know uh, exactly but i don't see its risk is as same as it is egress is fine but basically if section is closed uh, water tight water tight why it should come out the fact if it is coming out egressing that that means section wall is not working I don't know whether I answer your question. Sorry. So yeah, because one uh, answer to using intracameral antibiotic is that suppose uh, usually these incisions are on the temporal side, and if um, patient happens to sleep on that side, there the incision may leak. So take yeah, care of see, huh? yeah. Now you are talking about later on. the what happened then that antibiotic half life is hardly half an hour 45 minutes in that thing so it does not protect you for later on it will protect you probably give like a, during your surgery something would have entered left inside and that's what antibiotic intracameral antibiotic will help you it just get washed up around 30 40 minutes so so we are talking about the only moxifloxacin per se that has a shorter life half life or even the other uh... Antibiotic. most of them are most of them are see intravitreal antibiotic is different intracameral you can your currents flows they much faster uh, uh, pharmacokinetic they don't see basically you may be able to trace antibiotic for a longer but look at the concentration half life basically and looking at mic another thing probably it may be trace may be available but whether it is that concentration it effective enough to prevent subsequent So I think there is Dr. Mandar has said something that important factor uh, is periocular source of infection and infection nidus like blepharitis. So any comments on that, sir? That exactly what we were talking about patient hygiene and then periocular like a periocular tissues. That's what is our in our Indian scenario we talk about. So that's why doing both eye surgery eye surgery. Uh, so you need to look for particularly myomatitis is so common. Look at it. Ensure uh, you clear all those things. and before taking patient for surgery definitely yeah you have to take care of and of course most of us stop doing i think syringing now but at least uh, roplas can be done and but that should not be done on a day of surgery probably at least do a day before also the role of conjunctival swabs nowadays but routinely no i don't think routinely anybody does now just we look at roplas i quite but we still do a cases there one night uh, cases where you have a Uh, rather doubtful hygiene and uh, obviously you see contamination or something other eye prosthetic i suppose you are probably again i would prefer conjunct con- because look at other hygiene and i would tell patient to stop using prosthetic eye shell for uh, next few week or two till things settle down particularly what happened again lot of uh, debris collects under the prosthetic eye shell a lot of people they just do not take it out also and lot of discharge will be there that itself can be source of contamination so ensure If you have prosthetic eye, 
that is properly taken care of that socket is healthy before you take the uh, other eye for surgery so before we finish i just want to ask one more question is that uh, when we are investigating these cases of endophthalmitis we usually subject the uh, samples for uh, routine smears and cultures so and many a times i have seen that in sporadic cases we don't find the organism so is there uh, any role of pcr so do you think pcr is more important in uh, investigating these cases pcr definitely helps pcr definitely helps but then you have to be a little bit cautious because false positive false negative uh, those are the issues but uh, now it is accepted if you have pcr positive and then again clinical correlation obviously you will do so that definitely is taken as a positive culture thank you yeah i think uh, it was a really wonderful discussion and on behalf of mos i thank uh, dr pramod bhinge sir dr pritam samant dr sabhesachi for sparing their valuable time and highlighting on various aspects of endophthalmitis i also thank my resident dr nihali for her presentation dr parul vaishal for guiding all the way and of course dr taswala for his wonderful initiative and intor for the technical support thank you so much and good night this is a maharashtra ophthalmological society production the podcast team of ophthalmologist includes Dr Preeti Kamdar Dr Pravin Vyavahare Dr Pravin Patil Dr Rahul Tiwari and myself Dr Mandar Paranjpe thank you for listening